We're so glad you found us here at the Leadership After Hours podcast. If you're finding value in this content, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're on. This allows us to spread the modern leadership revolution. Plus, you don't want to miss out on a single weekly episode. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Leadership After Hours podcast. Real talk with real leaders committed to creating better companies and a better world. Presented by Stronger Leaders, Stronger Profits with your host, Sean Patton. Welcome back to part two of Leadership After Hours podcast with Christian Perro, the owner of C615. And Christian, um, you know, we had just finished up about the importance of you know, listening to your people and trying to make a determination between when to sort of step in and, and, and when to sort of facilitate conversations. And it was just so much that was really great in the first part of our conversation. So if you're listening and, and you missed that, make sure you go back and listen to part one uh, because there was some really good, really good stuff there. And, you know, I do want to talk about your new project because I want to make sure we cover it um, because it's a little different for you in terms of the different uh you know, you, you did the co-working space, the real estate investment, had a small team, and now you're doing a larger real estate development project. So kind of give the background on that. And I want to kind of hear, I want to hear the update about where that, that's out in the process. Yeah, the building that uh, Studio 615 operates in on Broadmoor Drive, the way that deal came together, it was the, it was two warehouses and it came with 14 acres of just vacant land with it, which was a a great real estate play at the time that was 2015 mm-hmm. and a different realtor uh, <laughs> at that time, after we closed said, I've done some digging and there's five parcels attached to that 14 acres that go all the way to Ben Allen road from Broadmoor to Ben Allen road. This is still technically East Nashville, by the mm-hmm. way, kind of Northeast Nashville. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Top of Ellington Parkway, mm-hmm. but right, still, right still, before still inside of, yeah, they call For it, those of you who aren't in Nashville, it's still like it's a great location. I mean, it's inside of the, the Beltway, if you want to call Briley right. the Beltway. It's the Briley Loop. Yeah, yeah the Briley Loop. It's, it. it's in Nashville, and that's a, it's a great property. Yeah. yeah, so he he said it's all the same owner, these five other parcels for 37 additional acres. And I said, no thanks. I'm not in the mood for a new project. I was kind of burnt out at that time. And he said, well, what if I just talk to him and maybe just get a price? Do you care if I talk to him? Nope. And he talked to him maybe once every couple of weeks for three to six months and got a number out of him. And then it seemed like reasonable at that time. So then I started putting investors together to, to put the land deal together because it just seemed like a good idea and no idea what I was getting into. And uh, the funniest thing is my my main partner in that is a veterinary surgeon who also doesn't know how to do a 484 residential unit ground up <laughs> development, which is what it has evolved to be. Uh, so we're both entering into new territory, but within weeks, we're going to be signing with a horizontal development partner who does know what they're doing. And yeah, I think it's going to be quite different from for most of the infill development projects you see, at least in that area. Mm-hmm. So as you approach this larger and different project, cause I think this is you know, generically a situation that a lot of people listening uh, 
have found themselves in or in the middle of it or will as they move up through the ranks, whether that is an entrepreneur, business owner, or inside of a larger company is as you move up, right? The projects get bigger, they get more complicated. um, And you, you start going into the unknown, right? If you're growing, you're doing new things. Um, So what has been your approach now that you have some, you have experience over these years doing real estate investment doing development, business development, but stepping into a project whose scope and content is maybe so much bigger or different than before. So how are you approaching this project or this process? I try and surround myself with people who are smarter than I am or experts in things that, you know, I'm not. So in this instance, I think one of the biggest keys to its at least early success, because it's still, you know, still haven't moved any dirt yet, (laughs) but the plan is solid. The city council likes it. The community likes it. As um, we hired a great um, planner slash landscape architect, Hawkins Partners. Mm. They've done a lot of um, high profile work throughout the city of Nashville over the last several decades. And they have been absolutely incredible to work with. Mm. Yeah. So f- identifying it, it's so funny it, earlier in the in part one, you talked about maybe uh, identifying who's the who knows the most. You know, you talked about that with your team or you yeah. like who who's right. the expert, right? Like yes. and and sort of leaning into that whether it's you or someone else. And I'm hearing here is that same sort of philosophy that you use maybe with your individual, you know, eight person team is with this larger project, it's like where where's my expertise and where are my gaps? And then mm-hmm. finding great people to fill the gaps. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So, so that analysis, you're in the sort of middle of that analysis of the larger project and identifying the right, maybe the potential right partners or right gaps that we need to bring in or you need to bring in for, for experts. Is that where you're, you're sort of at in terms of the, the larger project planning? Yeah. In the beginning, it wasn't just Hawkins partners. They do landscape architecture and master planning for communities like this, but um, Manuel Zeitlin Architects was brought in. Uh, Pfeffer to Road Architecture and Invent Communities was we all worked as a team in the early phases for the initial SP. And for people not familiar with that, it just means specific plan. Mm-hmm. It's just a a zoning plan specific to the land that you're working on. Okay. And ours is unique, especially in our surrounding neighborhood, in that it has a commercial component. Most of the new projects are residential only. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to go with commercial and residential together for this project? One reason is the scale of it. It's going. It's forty nine acres. That's it's pretty big, mm-hmm. and I think forty nine acres of just residential could work like in a suburban area. Let's say outside the Riley Loop, mm-hmm. but I like to envision this Broadmoor, Dickerson, Ben Allen, these three corridors becoming a lot more lively in the next ten years. And I think in order to be lively you need to have a commercial component. So we have one at the north and south sides of this um, of this parcel. Mm-hmm. And the best part is, I can't believe I didn't mention this yet, um, it's all connected by a greenway. And uh, the other two property owners of vacant land to the south of me, we all got together and did a another zoning overlay for our roughly combined, I think, 150 acres uh, to be dubbed trail-oriented development, meaning you can rent a bike or ride your bike and patronize businesses. 
So in order to be trail-oriented development, you need a commercial component. Mm-hmm. Because you're not just driving through a residential neighborhood. You're hopefully driving to someplace fun, like a microbrewery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... I, I think that's so important. And, and you know, I'm not uh, an expert in uh, city planning or any of that stuff, but my, so my degree at West Point, which kind of is, is uh, people haven't heard of, it's called cultural geography. Right? So it was a cultural geography uh, major. And one of the things we took was urban geography. And I did a lot of studies around that, which got into sort of like, you know, how cities are built and function and work together. And that was one of my favorite subjects I studied and paid off for me, uh, in the military, when you're doing Intel analysis of a city, you start to look for like, well, where, okay, there's a, this makes sense that this is a residential area. This is the high, you know, this is the downtown central zone. They're going to have certain roads. I mean, it's interesting how you could learn, uh, you know, apply these sort of lessons in so many different ways. And the same Intel analysis I would do that I learned about how different cultures are set up in a city versus a rural area played down to like, how we do avenues of approach to a raid in the middle of Baghdad, <laughs> right? And wow. then and then we're applying the same sort of thought processes here in terms of like still it's still all just analysis and problem solving. That's all it is, right? And um, and I do think that that mixed use space and and as cities continue to grow and especially as Nashville continues to grow and hopefully we look for cities that are more environmentally friendly and green that we make it so you don't have to. You know, it doesn't have to be Dallas Fort Worth. You don't have to drive two hours in traffic to go ten miles to go right. pick up groceries. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and so I think more and more people are are looking for those those sort of mixed use developments. But I love I love the uh was it trail connected? What was the term used? Trail oriented development. Trail oriented development. And when was that just a concept that was important to you in terms of with your background in the parks department to have a trail or was that driven by, you know, economic factors and data on like people want mixed use, like what sort of drove you that direction? So our project alone, we, we wanted to have a greenway out of the gate. So the parks department background gives me a strong appreciation for green public space. So before we put this SP together, we spent two days with the surveyors and flagged all of the mature trees, specimen trees or evergreen trees with growth potential that we wanted to save. And the surveyors overlaid those drip lines on the survey of the 50 acres. And so we kind of blocked that out from the get-go and said, the greenway will follow this line of green, which is kind of like a, like a ribbon of fat on a stake, mm-hmm. like through the, through the 50-acre parcel, and build around that. So we're like, here are the built developable areas and these areas we're leaving alone. The coolest thing that I didn't expect was my colleagues to the South who own, you know, many acres as well, get on board with that idea and then approach the councilwoman, Nancy Van Reese to say, Hey, let's dedicate this to as trail oriented development so that we can continue the greenway and have it hopefully connect to some established greenway systems closer to town. Right. Which is a much bigger grand vision involves working with the state of Tennessee. Fingers crossed. We'll see if we could. I think that's, I, I think that's so, it's so important for so many reasons. Um, you know, one, I think urban living, you know, I said people want to, they don't want to leave, you know, that, that area if they don't have to, you know, like it just, it's so much more convenient to stay local and not, not have to deal with that. It also keeps, 
it keeps uh, extra cars off the mm. roads and lowers the traffic issues that you have in a growing city. And of course, you have the environmental concerns along with the living. So there's so many important things there. This, uh, this trail-oriented development concept, is that one that you guys found other people doing? Like, wh- Where did that come I think from? When we made that official with the planning department, I believe we were the first landowners to do that. In Nashville. That's what I'm, I'm pretty sure. wondering. Yeah. If like, it seems like that's, man, there needs to be a, or maybe there will be when you guys are done a case study that <laughs> they need to put together for, uh, you know, for urban planners and city planners to look at how you guys are doing this, because I feel like this is setting a, a new precedent that it would be very attractive for a lot of cities and a lot of developers sure. to see how you're, you know, how you're doing this, you know? Well, like this is back in 2017 that we did this. So, for for Nashville, that may have been new for for an actual property owner to come to the city with that idea, mm-hmm. and for the city to be like, "Yes, great," but I'm pretty certain it had been going on in other cities. Like my favorite example is Atlanta. Um, if you've been on the any areas affected by the Beltline, that Greenway system, you could see the impact it makes on a city. It it almost seems utopian mm-hmm. at points to to be able to walk with a huge diversity of humans to like really, really fun commercial stuff, eating, drinking, partying, biking, exercise, and residential too. That's a, that's a really well done example. And that's ongoing. The, yeah. the Beltline in Atlanta. And yeah, this, well, hopefully you guys, you know, get this going, it gets press it. Um, and the other, you know, local developers or people that are coming to Nashville to do development, uh, see this as an example that they want to emulate because, you know, it's Nashville is not getting smaller anytime soon. <laughs> so, um, right. so I think that this is such a, a cool use case, you know, for, uh, for that. Um, I want to, I want to jump a bit to uh, center 615 here where we're at this sure. co-working space, if you don't mind, sure. because um, you know, I've, I checked out a bunch of different co-working spaces around just Nashville. I've also been to a lot as, you know, someone who is self-employed, has my own company and travels for work. And you obviously took a very different creative approach with setting this up. Uh, why? Well, part of it is what we working with what we had, which is why I like adaptive reuse. We, I was hesitant to scale it this high if we have 92 suites here total of 65,000 square feet over three buildings um but with keeping kind of a lot of the layout the same as it was remember the first two buildings were originally office buildings Mm -hmm. so it wasn't that hard right to reconfigure um we were able to keep rents low and i think that makes us um different from our competition and it's a the building we're in, main building, is a weird looking building. It's a 1970s era facade with stone and strange angles. And so I think my wife, who is a designer and helped a lot in the design of these buildings, after we closed on 615 Main, said it looks like a spaceship from the 70s landed on Main Street. And I kind of thought, well, let's let's double down on that. And then and we added those metal panels to the outside and mm-hmm. someone called it like a piano keys, white castle building once. Yep. 
I kind of like how the corners somewhat emulate the spires of the Batman building downtown. It's definitely odd, but weird enough. And then we carried the space theme through to the interior. You'll notice a lot of Star Wars themed artwork. Yeah. <laughs> All of the conference rooms are named after characters from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. One of my favorite sci-fi movies. <coughs> that was like, that was actually my, probably the, I, as, I, I feel bad about saying this, but one of, uh, I, my, I was had like ADHD in, uh, in school. And so it's like, I didn't, oh, well, thank you, Siri. Um, the, <laughs> uh, what, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was like one of the books I started reading in class that I like, I loved and actually like took home and read and had, and like, I still think I have my copy of when I, when I read that book back in school. Cause it was so, yeah. it was so fun. So cool. So yeah. And then yeah, all of them, all the conference rooms here, except for there's one that's like a, the Don Draper room, right? Like the Madman room. <laughs> yes. There's a story behind that too. And so much of it, so many of those stories go back to like cost efficiency or cost savings or someone we've worked with. So the company we bought this from, Hardaway Construction, when they moved out, didn't need that conference table or chairs. And so we bought it at a discount, but it's very dated. But it's kind of cool dated, I thought yeah. it was. Yeah. And at that time, Mad Men was still really popular. So we're like, let's call this the Draper Room. <laughs> I think people will get the reference. It's like a dated, old school, high back leather chair conference room. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you still have in that room, you know, you walk in, it is, it's perfectly like dim. I mean, you, you almost expect to have like a, a smoky, like a cigar, yeah, an like ashtray. an ashtray in the middle yeah, going. It feels um, like that. <laughs> and then there's like, are those original like 1960s, yep. like magazine advertisements up on the wall? Those frames? are cutouts from, yeah, from office furniture magazines, I think from either the late 60s or early 70s. Yeah, yeah. so it does, definitely has, you know, a vibe. And, you know, it's so interesting. It's always different project. You talk about what's it's about, you know, adaptive reuse. Um, you know, it's really about what's efficient and saving money and what makes a business, what makes business sense, but not in a bland way that it still has character and it still seems, you know, it seems so custom um, and so unique. And so, you know, turning that efficiency and that reuse into a strength, yeah. not something you're trying to overcome. Right. right. Yeah. We did that across the street. The that it's a three building campus here. The offices above the restaurant, we call that Center Six One Five Loft. And because we did that because there was so much old timber in the um, in the construction, the posts and the um, central support beam for the roof, and we decided to leave that all exposed. Hmm. It was aesthetically appealing, design wise at the time, and called it Loft. <laughs> Yeah, I you know I think there's there's something to that about not trying to make something you know be like force it to be something it's not right you know? like, yep. like letting something be what it is and and leaning into that to make that a strength but I think that takes some imagination I think it takes some courage to to do that as a developer or as a designer um, or, you know, even with people or in business. I mean, I think of that letting, you know, if I'm, I don't know if I'm taking a giant leap here with between interior design and human beings right now, but mm -hmm. uh, that's fine. We'll make a leap, but you know, I almost, I almost feel there's almost a, a lesson here on with your people. Sometimes, you know, we talk about 
right person, right bus, right seat, or, you know, you know, square peg in a square hole, not in round. So like with your people, it can be sort of the same thing. You know, it can be, you walk into any situation and like, what's, what's there before you go in to start smashing it and forcing people or a space to be something that you haven't pre envisioned instead of walking in and be like, what do I have right now? And how do I optimize what's already there? Totally. Uh, Brandon's a good, my oldest, most long-term employee is a good example of that. We hired him to work reception at this building when we first opened it to let people in and show people to offices and answer phone. And of course we were still kind of putting things together and doing uh, blue tape subcontractor work. And I noticed very quickly how good he was at speaking with subcontractors, like not trying to be above or not, but also understanding what they do. He just had a very natural way of communicating to the trades guys doing work in here. And so that's one of his main jobs. His title is building operations now. And what I, I'd be dead without him because there's so much, so many meetings he takes on repairs. HVAC is a constant issue, especially right now in the summer. And he just spearheads all that very courageously. So identifying those natural talents and letting them lean into that. Right. It's been the key to success with him. And I'm sure, I'm sure others, right. As you work through these processes. Yeah. The chief of staff at the parks department, when they hired me said something that I say in every one of my interviews where we're about to bring, offer someone the position is she said at that time, my job was called borough analyst. I was crunching numbers on spreadsheets and she said, I know your job is borough analyst, but you know, we're creative here at the parks department and you, you never know where this might take you. If you, you know, have an interest in something, let us know, but it, this could become something you wouldn't expect. And so I say some version of that to, to every person we hire. And that has happened to many of them, whether it's like someone starting working reception, then spearheading our event spaces. Mm. Now, man, that's, that's so good. Well, there's been, there's, there's been so many great lessons and stories in this. Uh, so as we wrap up here, I want to know what excites you most about life right now? Hmm. Quite honestly, it is the, it is the development um, because I feel like it's, it's an opportunity of a lifetime to create or help curate a, a 50 acre community. I'm most excited about the commercial components mm -hmm. of the bookends. Mm -hmm. I really do want to have a microbrewery at each end of the development. And I'm not even a beer drinker. <laughs> I just, I have been in other cities where there are microbreweries on greenways and see how that works so well for the, for the urban experience. And you know, this, if everything goes perfectly smooth, this will still take seven to eight years. I think it's going to be more like 10. And I think it's something I could be like extremely proud of. So that's what gets me through these two and a half hour long uh, Zoom calls with attorneys from New York City and bankers and all like the nitty gritty we're going through right now is to imagine walking or biking on this greenway, playing disc golf on our nine hole course, which we already have done. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe getting a beer with some friends and like thinking that we can make that happen. Yeah. 
you created, you know, that, that yeah. I'm hearing the, the passion around people and around the creative endeavor. And I'll say I resonate. Uh, it was, it, it's funny coming from military background. Um, and also as an athlete, I always, I, I never, I'm saying the military doesn't, uh, you know, value creativity or something, but it's not like, uh, it's very pragmatic in a lot of ways um, sure. by, ne- by necessity. Um, and I never thought of myself even come out as like a creative. In the last few years, I've been in the military now for eight years. And the last few years, I started realizing how much I actually started to consider myself a creative. And But business, uh, you know, I, th- I think entrepreneurs are, are creators. Um, if we 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 have an idea, we have an impact, we have an experience we want to create, and maybe we're not doing it by drawing on on a, on a wall or painting right. or you know making some sort of you know an, an audio sound or creating a music or like, but we're but you're creating an organization, you're creating a culture, and 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 you can point that skill set at anything, and I think it's so cool to see this arc of parks department to real estate investor, to business owner, to, you know, that your, your entire, you know, a lot of times we, we talk about skill stacking, right? Like taking one skill and then using that to leverage it to another skill. So they all sort of align to create super skill. Sure. And it seems like that's the journey that you're on and you're, you're all that last, you know, what, 10, 15, 20 years of experience sure. is sort of is culminating in this, in this sort of legacy defining uh, project right now. So so excited for you. Just don't use the dirty word. What's that? The D word, developer. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it has so many bad connotations. Mm-hmm. I, I never introduced myself or want to be introduced that way. I'm still a real estate investor, just passionate about public space. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christian. This is a great conversation as always. And uh, man, there was so much to pull out of this. And I, I look forward to seeing what you continue to do in the future. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening to the Leadership After Hours podcast. If you haven't already, join us in the modern leadership revolution by hitting the subscribe button and giving us a review on whatever platform you listen to or watch the Leadership After Hours podcast. For a better tomorrow, create a new leader today.